he is a fortress and he is a strength this morning i want to speak on present sufferings versus future glory we are back to romans chapter 8 from verses 18 to 25 a christian life is a trouble free life is it a myth or a fact a christian never get sick is it a myth or a fact if a christian gets sick he is healed instantaneously is it a myth or a fact if a christian needs money all he has to do is ask god for it and the heavens open and down it pours is it a myth or a fact in order to answer these questions and many more such questions let us dive straight into the word of god directly for today's meditation let us read together romans chapter 8 verses 18 to 25 romans 8 chap- verses 18 to 25 i consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of god to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of god we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently this is god's word let's look to the lord glorious father may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight spirit of god speak to us help us to understand the word of god let the truth penetrate into our hearts and lord set us free help us to have hope you will never let go of our hand 
through our ups and downs, you're always with us. We bless your name. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul states so clearly that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So we need to ask that question, what is this glory that is so great, that is incomparable with the pain that we undergo right now? In our day-to-day -day life, we undergo so much of pain and struggles, but what is this glory that is so huge, so great? Paul says our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory. So the first thing, you know, we all, we wonder why this comparison between sufferings and glory. Why sufferings and glory? If it is glory, why on the other end there is suffering? So we ask the first question, why are sufferings and glory inseparable? It is only after we have suffered for a little while we, that we will enter God's glory. The only good news is this sufferings will last only for a little while. To end, what the Bible says is to enter the place of glory, we must walk through the path of sufferings. There is no other path. And in this path, there are sufferings. You know, things like pain, sickness, oppression, persecution, loneliness, separation, slavery, anxiety, failures, sorrow, death. And as we go through this path of sufferings, we will enter the place of glory. And this is what the Jews also anticipated when God comes and when he establishes his kingdom, a kingdom of peace and righteousness, we will be free from all this sufferings. And Paul says in um, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, Paul is almost saying that the sufferings and the glory are married. They cannot be divorced. They are together. Why? Why? Why sufferings and glory? 
for children of God, why sufferings and glory? Because our Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect example for us. And in Hebrews 2.10, it says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. In other words, the author of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. In other words, Jesus Christ was made perfect through what he suffered. If suffering was essential for Jesus Christ's obedience, we can imagine how much more essential it is to our obedience to Jesus Christ. If we want to be perfected in this world, this is the means that God has appointed and it is important for us to understand that. There is meaning and purpose behind suffering. When we read the word of God, we should also not only read the word of God, we should also learn to understand the culture around us. What is the culture around us when we go through pain, when they go through pain? What is their explanation? Their explanation is karma. I did something bad, so I'm reaping for it now. Or it is destiny. Everything is destiny. Everything is written on my forehead. And sometimes Christians bring these cultural belief into our church. And they say that you are suffering. I know why you are suffering. This is nothing but you are just bringing the culture inside the church. You know, when we undergo suffering, let it be very clear. As I said, when we go through sickness, separation, loneliness, pain, you know, when others, people who don't know Jesus, when they undergo all these sufferings, it serves no purpose. But when children of God, when they go through the sufferings, it serves divine purpose. And also along with that, it brings divine reward. None of us suffer in vain because we know what is in store for us. We have great hope. Our life will not end here. We will enter the place of glory. And as we go through the sufferings, we are keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is seated on the throne. He's taking us to his place, a place filled with glory. As followers of Christ, our suffering is earthly. In this earth, we suffer, whereas our glory is heavenly. Our suffering is short, only for a little while. But our glory is forever, it's eternal. Our suffering is only in our earthly bodies. But our glory will be in our perfect, imperishable bodies 
a resurrected body. We need to be aware of this. And we should also be aware that when this glory is revealed in us, what's going to happen? When this glory is revealed in us, it will envelop the whole created world. It is not only that we will rise in our resurrected body, along with that we bring the creation into a place where it will be singing glory to God. The mountains and the oceans and the trees and everything will sing along with us. The creation itself will be renewed, restored, redeemed. We find it difficult to believe that's there in the word of God. That's the privilege we have as children of God. You know, our sonship will be publicly revealed. It will be evident. It will be acknowledged. It will be something like this. We'll be able to walk on the water. When we command the winds, the waves and the wind will obey us. That's the way nature will obey us. But let me also caution you, don't, you know, because I'm telling, because in the new heavens and the earth, there'll be no seas. But just to make, you know, to help us to understand, I gave you these illustrations. But we will have authority over nature. That's the literal explanation of this passage. You know, we'll be fully conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be perfectly holy as our Lord Jesus Christ. And as beautiful as he is, no wrinkles, no need for beauty treatment, we'll be as beautiful as our Lord Jesus Christ is. How do I know this? Again, we go back to the word of God and we see that in 1 John 3, 2, it's written, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Though our present sufferings are painful, our situations are not comfortable. As we are overwhelmed, overwhelmed with our sufferings and struggles, Paul says they are not worth compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And Paul says the creation waits for this day. When you look around, the creation is telling us
glance, they're all waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So we see that sufferings and glory are inseparable. Our sufferings have a meaning, a divine purpose and a divine reward. As we go through the sufferings, none of the children of God never suffer in vain. We never suffer without a divine purpose. The creation itself is groaning. It is waiting in eager expectation. So now it leads us to the next question. Why is creation waiting in eager expectation? I understand I am suffering, but why, why this creation is waiting in eager expectation? When we are talking about sufferings and glory, it concerns both. God's creation as well as God's children. It concerns both, both what we see around us and God's children. Because in Romans 8, 20, it says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. How did this happen? What sin did the creation commit? When we read the word of God, we find that when Adam sinned, the human race fell into sin. And the Lord said, cursed is the ground because of you. Because man sinned, the created order has been subjected to frustration. What's the meaning of this word frustration? It has become purposeless. It has become empty. Nature is not what it was created to be. Let me uh, put this in practical terms. Although we, environmental organizations and government agencies make noble attempts, you know, that those, are, those attempts where their efforts are to be lauded, appreciated, supported, they make noble attempts to protect and restore natural resources. There's nothing wrong in it. But the only thing is, they'll only have limited success. Disease, pain, death, natural disaster, cyclones, earthquakes, pollution, etc., will never cease until the one who cursed the ground removes it and creates a new heaven and a new earth. It can never be eradicated. This is not a friendly earth, but a violent and dangerous one. 
the earth in which we are living is not a friendly earth. It is a violent and dangerous one. How do we know all this? Because if you see the word frustration, you know, the Greek word is matayotes. And um, if you have little Greek knowledge, and when you go to the uh, Septuagint, the Old Testament, which was translated in Greek language, and when you, are, when you look for this word matayotes, interestingly, you find this in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we all know that word, meaningless, meaningless vanity. In fact, that's the word matayotes. And that's the word frustration because Ecclesiastes 1-2 says meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And the entire book of Ecclesiastes is a commentary on this meaningless, on this word frustration. Cursed is the ground because of you. When man sinned, the consequences of sin, we are still reaping the consequences of that. The nature was supposed to live in harmony with humankind, but it is alienated. It is not as beautiful or great as it was meant to be. And it has become frustrated, purposeless, meaningless. But what we need to notice here is not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. God cursed the ground. But because, you know, the greatness, the goodness of our God, if you read Genesis chapter 3, you realize a God is a loving God. He didn't disown us. Even in the midst of our death, God uttered a word of hope. Hope not only for God's children, but also for God's creation. The creation will be liberated one day because in Romans 8.21, it says in hope, there is hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You know, God could have put Adam and Eve to death just there itself. There was no need for God to send them out of the Garden of Eden. The wages of sin is death, and he could have just put them to death there itself. But God is a merciful God. There is hope in God. Whatever might be our situation, there is hope. He will never let go of our hand. There is hope in God. You know, God gave Adam and Eve hope. It is right there in 
Genesis chapter 3, he promised a savior right there. Even though there was a curse, there was the hope of eventual reversal, which we heard last Sunday. There will be a reversal. Even though God subjected creation to imperfection, purposelessness, there is still hope. And that is why the creation is waiting, eagerly waiting. It says in eager expectation, the creation is groaning and waiting. As of now, the creation is also in decay. Uh, a seed uh, it just sprouts, the, the flower comes, and ultimately that plant itself dies. You know, it decays. That's the cycle. There is a continuous cycle of death and decomposition. All this will be reversed. All this will be reversed. You know, the whole universe is deteriorating and running down. If you are a science student, you know, you, you, you would have learned that as of now, you know, the, uh, the universe is losing more energy than it can generate. And we all know that. And we call this as the law of entropy. The second law of thermodynamics. I'm just kind of helping the science students to connect with the word of God. Why the second law of thermodynamics? You know, as of now, the universe is on the path of deterioration. There is decay. You know, you will read that sun, you know, there in sun also for how many more years it can give light. It's deteriorating. There is decay everywhere. Everything in nature wears down and dies. The nature itself is in, in the realm of pain and suffering. We don't know as we get older, there's something happening in this body. It's losing its strength, its elasticity, its energy, wearing down. It takes place and it's happening in creation also. So what's happening now? We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Interesting, it has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. What a beautiful metaphor. In this creation, no experience is untainted by pain. Nobody can say in this community, I have never experienced pain. It's almost part of our life. But the good news is this is not the last word because the creation itself will be liberated. The second law of thermodynamics will be reversed. The law of entropy will be reversed. The curse will be reversed. There'll be a reversal of the curse. And there'll be glorious freedom for the children of God. Now, 
let me just try to sum up what I have said so far in this. Why is creation waiting in eager expectation and what will happen? Just, uh, I'll sum up. The first thing that will happen is, you know, the, we saw that creation was subjected to frustration. So instead of frustration, there'll be fulfillment. You know, right now what we say is the ocean is beautiful. The mountain is beautiful. The valley is beautiful. And we say nature is beautiful, but we cannot imagine how glorious and beautiful it'll be when it is renewed. When the curse is reversed, you know, you will not be able to, we will not be able to even imagine the extent of beauty of the mountains and the oceans. If this is beautiful, it will be infinite times more beautiful when that curse is reversed. So instead of frustration, that will be fulfillment. And instead of decay, there will be strength and newness. I said, everything is decaying. We are losing our strength. The body is decaying. But instead of decay, there'll be strength. There'll be a renewal. In the, in the new earth, things will be beautiful, strong, forever and ever. In the new earth, there'll be no wrinkles. We will not lose our strength. We'll be renewed, we'll be new. That's what will happen in the new earth. And instead of pain, there is only joy. The little joy we experience in this world is just a glimpse of what is to come. There'll be infinite time joy. In a we can understand with this, the metaphor that, that has been used, the pains of childbirth. You know, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ also used the same metaphor when you read the end times. And when you read, when you go through the Matthew chapter 24, uh, you know, when you read that, the end times, the disciples are asking, what will be the signs? And the Lord Jesus explains it. And in verse 8, the Lord Jesus uses the very same metaphor. He says, all these are the beginning of birth pains. You know, what we are going through is just, it is just the spasmodic pains. Waiting. The woman is in labor. She's undergoing the pain. That's what we are going right now. But the future is she'll deliver a child and that gives us joy. And that's the best metaphor I think that one can express, one can explain this phenomenon. Everything is going to become new. There'll be a new version of earth. We'll be in this earth, but the earth will be a new version of it free of God's curse. 
So why are sufferings and glory inseparable? Our, whenever we go through sufferings, let's not waste it. Let's not become bitter. There is a divine purpose and reward behind it. Children of God never go through sufferings without God's knowledge. He's a good God. He's watching over us. Not even a single hair falls from our head without his knowledge. There is something good happening. We are not created for this world. We are being prepared for that place of glory. And why is creation waiting in eager expectation? As of now, it is purposeless. It wants its purpose to be fulfilled. It doesn't want the, the creation doesn't want to decay, not lose energy. And the creation itself is groaning. So now we come to the last question. How is future glorious? I've already indicated that our future will be fulfilling. If you are going to try fulfillment in this world, we can never find fulfillment. It is only our future will be fulfilling. It is only in future there'll be renewal. A renewal that will give us strength forever and ever. This body will decay and there'll be joy forever. Whatever little joy we experience here in the presence of God, multiply that by infinite times. That's the joy we will have in the place of glory. And that's the reason the whole creation also has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. It is not only creation is groaning, God's children are also groaning. Now, Paul says in Romans 8, 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Interesting. You know, if you read this verse carefully, Paul says, Paul points out the one thing we have and one thing we do not have. In this verse, he says, one thing we have and one thing we do not have. Paul says, we have the first fruits of the spirit. He says that, we have that. Right now, as children of God, we have the first fruits of the spirits. Now, when we read the first fruits, we should, only, we should remember first fruits were only a foretaste of what is to come. It is like, you know, in the kitchen, something is being cooked and uh, the mother gives just, just taste and see this. It's the first fruit. And we wait, oh, when will this be served? So that's the first fruit. It is just a foretaste. I just get to taste. Sometimes when my wife cooks, I just get to taste that. 
and now I have to wait for that food to be served. So that is the first fruits of the spirit. It's just a foretaste. Whatever we are experiencing here, it's only that little bit of taste, little bit that we see in this world. You know, the Holy Spirit is making us internally alive, making us It is just a foretaste of the total freedom that, that we will experience in the place of glory. God heals us, but that is just a foretaste. We pray and he heals us, but that, that is just a foretaste. Today, we will see that total freedom. But what is the other thing that we don't have? Paul says we have the first fruits of the spirit. What we don't have is we wait eagerly for our ship. Strange, is it not? We wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. You might say, Pastor, you preached from verse 14 and you said we have been adopted as God's children. Yes, I preached. And what Paul is telling us is, you know, we have been legally adopted, but we have not yet become fully a part of God's family. We have not yet become part of God. So we eagerly, we are waiting. We are waiting to put it in this way for the consummation of that. We have been adopted, but that is, that's only a foretaste. We have been adopted as children of God, but when we are fully adopted, we will be like Christ Jesus. We'll be like him in all aspects. So practically, how do we relate this? You know, sometimes we realize we are becoming little more like Jesus Christ. All of us, all of us are becoming little more like Jesus Christ. That little more may vary in each one's life, but I'm sure as God's children, we are all becoming little more like Jesus Christ. If we are not becoming little more like Jesus Christ, then that is something we need to ponder, think, introspect. But I'm sure that all of us are becoming little more like Jesus Christ. You know, we notice that we are getting less angry. We notice that we are becoming less self-centered. We notice that we are becoming little more loving towards Jesus Christ. 
we notice that somewhere we are having a burden for kingdom work. We notice that somewhere we want to pray for people who are struggling. There's that little burden in us. We notice that we want to generously give for God's work. We notice that we are becoming less anxious and so on. I can go on and on. So we are constantly being transformed. And when we, we should keep reminding ourselves when those little, little things happen, the spirit of God is working in us. You don't have to wait for a spectacular experience. God is constantly working for in us. And when that is happening, oh, we should say that. We should remind us ourselves, oh, I know it has not been easy to love others, to give for God's work. It's not been easy. It's been a struggle. But that pain that we undergo right now cannot be compared to the glory that's been kept for us. We are, I said, the world in which we are living is not a friendly world. But in this world, God is constantly renewing us, changing us. If there is this little bit of change in us, let's keep our eyes on the place of glory. That's going to be glorious. One day we will be totally changed renewed and we will be like Jesus. We'll have the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us desire for that beauty. Lord, I'm prepared to undergo anything that you have kept in my way. Only Lord, if you, if you will take me to that place of glory, that is glorious. I'm ready to sacrifice. I want to hunger for you. I know, Lord, it is glorious. In fact, Lord, it is so glorious. I want to come to that place and worship you, adore you. And the creation waits for us. As I walk into that place, I'm not going along. The, I take the creation along with me. The mountains and oceans and the birds and the animals will sing along with me. You know, there are, I can go back to the book of Isaiah and I can keep giving the references, but it's important for us to understand this. Our sufferings are not meaningless. And our best days lie ahead of us. Our best days are not in this world. If we have become comfortable in this world, we have not understood what is being prepared for us. Our best days lie ahead of us. You know, the, the best explanation uh, that you can read on this is uh, from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. This is how he writes and this is how he describes. I thought uh, this explains it very well. God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a God or goddess 
a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly. Though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for. Nothing less, he meant what he said. We are made in the image of God and that very image will be restored when we reach the place of glory. And when we reach the place of glory, we'll be like God. Not God, like God. But the process will be long and in parts very painful. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we have heard that as we go through this path of suffering, God has kept a place of glory for us. And let, as we have heard this message, let us tell ourselves, you know, let, let, let this echo in our hearts, in our minds. Oh, I am living in a world of suffering. I know this is not a friendly world. I know this is a dangerous world, an evil world, a world where there is pain and suffering. But I also know I am a child of God and I know that I am chosen. I know I'm redeemed. I am washed by the blood of Jesus. I will fear no evil. Though I see evil all around me, I see it is surrounding me, overwhelming me. I will fear no evil because my God is with me. He is my strength. He is my protection. He is watching over me 24-7. I will not fear. I will not fear. I know I'm here on his mission. For only one reason, for his mission to be completed in and through my life. And I know he strengthens me. I know he fights for me because he is my warrior God. <coughs> he provides for me because he is my Jehovah Jireh. I am so precious in his sight. I am the apple of his eye. I will not despair. Because he is watching over me 24-7. Whether I'm in an ICU on a sick bed or I'm in a pit, he's watching over me. I will not fear because he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I am on the way to my father's house. I know one day there'll be no pain and tear for my destination is glorious. Nothing on this earth can stop me. 
No force on earth can hinder that. No demons, no devil can come and stop me from reaching my father's house because his promise is unchangeable because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's continue to pray. I, lead, I request Pastor Frame to lead us in prayer. Praise you.